Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, I'm joined by Andy Fay. Andy is PwC's global esports leader. Some of you might be wondering why we've got someone from esports on a predominantly property and real estate focused podcast, but all will be revealed. So, Andy, do you want to give us a bit of information um, about what it is that you do at PwC? Sure, sure. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, as, as you say, I, I sort of lead our um, global esports practice. That's sort of that's aside from my day job. My day job is, you know, boring tax accountant, working tax, um, have done for many years. But um, over the last sort of three and a half years, I've sort of become our SME on the esports industry. Starting off, you know, sort of over just a little over three years ago, trying to sort of upskill and understand the market where where PwC could fit, see if, you know, there was stuff in it for tax. But actually, um, as I'm sure we'll discuss, is that, you know, it's got far, it reaches far beyond that. And actually, that's pretty much where I've been focusing, uh, certainly for the last sort of two years of of that three and a half year period. Brilliant. So for those listeners who don't know, what exactly is the esports industry? If if you think esports is effectively the competitive scene of gaming so gaming you know video games that i'm sure majority listening have have been involved with at some point in their life you know video gaming has been around a long 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 time um as it's matured and got more sophisticated you know you've been able to have a competitive angle to that so it's the competitive piece and generally the way i sort of describe it is it's it's others watching others play video games and that's you know like exactly like traditional sports you've got football people go and watch the top players play football esports is no different it's just gaming so people go and watch the top players video game i know some people might might find it quite hard to get around that concept so my experience of video games kind of is is limited to playing mario kart and a bit of fifa again and super mario brothers so essentially it's like sitting around watching those the, the best players at that playing against each other in a competitive way and that's it's a simple yeah exactly yeah. right and it's and and you know if you imagine so, so esports actually believe it or not has been around for about 20 years you know so it used to be and you know i was at the time although i was alive i was totally oblivious to it was that, you know, people would descend on, you know, big uh, venues and you would have, you know, 100 Pac-Man machines all sort of in that venue linked up and it would be big comp- competition for Pac-Man. And, um, and, and other game titles, you know, Pinball, you know, yeah. was very similar. You'd have these massive big sort of conferences and, and expos and, and people would come and compete and you'd have a winner. All that's happened over the over the years, and particularly the last sort of three or four years, is it's got much more sophisticated. So some of those, you know, people will be familiar with like World of Warcraft and you know, even the Call of Duty franchise, you know, that started, you know, I don't know, in the early noughties or whenever whenever that was. These are two now. I mean, you've got League of Legends now, which is and Dota 2, which is kind of similar to World of Warcraft. 
and you've got Call of Duty, and now these iterations of the title way back then, that is unrecognisable. And when you when you add the you know the, the improved gameplay, the better technology, you know, four G now five G coming in, and the sort of the thing that I that really binds it all together is the sort of social media phenomenon phenomenon that we've got going on at the minute, where people are, you know, they take their content from influencers and streamers. They like short, snappy, you know, little content. You know, you see the TikTok sort of model at the minute. You put all that into the mix. That's how people, the fans, the community that engage with this stuff, the, those three things create this perfect storm for the development of esports and gaming. So it's, it's been around for a while, but the last two or three years has just accelerated. In, in terms of real estate then, at the moment, I'm sure you're aware we've got huge uh, problems for retail, hospitality, and also the leisure real estate industry. So a lot of those industries are about where people spend their free time. And a new trend has uh, started to emerge, certainly over the last few years, of social competitive events. So things like you've got bars with apps flowing, you've got miniature golf, and things like that is, is, is taking up. How much does esports fit into that? Well, my view and you know is, is esports has a massive role to play and gaming has a massive role to play in the next you know number of years around that leisure space you know gaming one in three people are gamers you know globally it's it's a huge it's a huge volume and, and what i mean by that is you know you know my wife plays candy crush on a mobile phone she'd be classed as a gamer you know, I play football manager, I'm a gamer. People play their, their PlayStation, you know, PS5 coming out, you know, the, uh, the new um, Xbox, all of that, you know, they're gamers. So one in three of us play video games in one way, shape or form. The difference that's happened now is that that video gaming is social. You know, a lot of your audience and people will be thinking, well, you know, this stereotypical gamer of, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, the sort of analogy is you're locked in your grandmother's basement, just video gaming in your underpants, you know, and, and, not, and not seeing the outside world or daylight for, for days on end. Well, that's totally changed. You know, if, if, you know, a lot of people on here will have kids who are in their sort of teens. These guys video game, but connected to their friends yeah. and their teams and their squads. And, and likewise, whether you're playing Fortnite, FIFA, Call of Duty, League of Legends, whatever. So what these guys want to do is they want to, you know, yes, you can, you can video game at home online, but actually every now and then it's quite cool to go and hang out with that, with your teammates at a physical location. And not only that, if you can go to a physical location and watch some seriously good people play the video game or the title that you also play, but you can aspire to be them or you re realize actually there's no way I can hit this level. You know, if you, if you watch video gaming and um, you know, the top players live, these guys are extraordinary. You know, they do, they make, they're making, you know, hundreds of decisions a minute, you know, three or four or something like five or six um, decisions every second. And the speed of their sort of their hand eye coordination is absolutely unbelievable. You know, they're like concert pianists. 
when they're playing on their keyboards. They are unbelievable. And so, you know, if you line that to, to, to traditional sports, you know, a good friend of mine's um, son sort of brought this up and, and he said, why are you, my mate was like, why are you watching, you know, people play FIFA um, online on, on YouTube or Twitch or whatever? And he's like, well, dad, you, you, you never play football in your life and you go and watch Spurs every week. This is no different. You know, this is no different. This is me watching the best of the best. Realize I can pick some tips up. It's quite entertaining. And that's, and that's the other slight difference, I say, to traditional sports and why it is so social is that when people are learning about this stuff from YouTube tutorials or from their favorite streamers or influencers, it's really entertaining. So there's a little bit, there's, there's a, a gaming element, there's a social element, there's an entertainment element. Bring all that together in bricks and mortar. People need somewhere to game and to socialize. And I think, you know, to your point, esports and gaming absolutely has a role to play on the face of the high street in particular going forward. You already see it in Europe, in Asia, North America. We're, we're only a step or so behind. So I'm going to pick up on a, a few of those points then. So you mentioned the high street. So what are the different types of real estate uses for some of these esports, I guess, companies and viewers and players? Mm. So you have see, so you've got like a mix. So if you if you think the, the, the venues that really work are those multi-purpose venues. So <laughs> you know you're not generally going to make a lot of success if you just create an esports venue. So if you, if you just have an esports with some, you know, fancy seating areas and a beautifully arranged gaming platform for the players to play, you know, that's got limited use for a couple of reasons. One is that um, there aren't that many tournaments of that high quality going on all the time to fill it out. And secondly, there are com- often complex, complex licensing rules around game titles with publishers so you can't just say i'm gonna stick on a an esports tournament for call of duty there's certain protocols that you need to follow but actually where the 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 sort of general success comes is if you have a venue that is a social environment where people can come and game and hang out that's but then has the facilities to host or stream live top-level esports competition, and you strike the right balance of that with, you know, um, food and beverages. You know, you, you see certain ones. There's, there's a couple in London that um, have, have come up, and you've got, you know, a very sort of multi-phased venue for people to come and spend their time at. And you mentioned there's one in London. Do you think geography plays a big part in this? Do you think it's got to be somewhere where kind of you're already in a, a setting where there's lots of people living there or do you think people will travel to these events and how do you think geography kind of plays a part in that? Well, it's, well, it's a good point. And I, I would say, you know, it, it depends on what the venue is aiming to achieve. So for example, if you have a high, you know, high density city, you can have almost, you know, you can have coffee shop type, arrangements with loads of these things these these venues across a, a, a city in the city so london you'll start to see many more leeds there's a couple in leeds as well um manchester these will start to come up you know you, you may have heard the belong arenas 
um, that were in there that, that um, were owned by or, or game turned into these belong arenas um, across the UK as well. So you've got so and then if you if you look at what's happened in the rest of the world in in China in particular, you've got hundreds of these. South Korea, hundreds of these uh, venues in sort of high density areas. However, then you've got sort of another two areas to think about. You've got the professional top tier uh, events, stadia events, and then you've got, I would say, the more out of town department store capability. So you see in North America, in the US, you know, Walmart has a whole bunch of gaming zones esports zones within their structures across you know many cities in the US now the purpose of that and, and you start to see you know there's, there's no doubt I think you know Westfield and others will start to have this yeah. is just a gaming part or vid- a video gaming section is no different to having your cinema you know your food outlets other you know crashes where parents can drop their kids off and go and do that spend the day shopping kids are happy as Larry spending money in these uh, environments and then you've got the sort of top tier um top tier level of stadia so you already see you know twickenham stadium hosts one of the uk's top esports teams the o2 has hosted top level events uh, wembley arena uh, the xl and of course um the nec in birmingham have hosted these major big tournaments uh, the copper box actually uh, hosted one um, also just before lockdown and so there's different uses for the different venues based on where they want to play in that sector we've even seen hotel chains create gaming floors for their guests and you think that seems a bit odd but actually back to my point if one in three of us are gamers do you want to be lugging your pc across the country for your kids or, or who, who are you know big gamers no, walk into the gaming lounge in the hotel and it's all set up there for you. And so, I mean, I, I'm reading up on this, because I've got to admit, I, d- I didn't know much about, about this whole subject. So I had a quick, a quick look online and I saw a stat that just amazed me, which, which was that gaming is now a larger market than film and music combined. Is, is that true? <laughs> and, and if it is... I guess then there's more opportunity with real estate in terms of offices for the companies involved in gaming or shops selling games, maybe, or like you said, the coffee shops and bars and then the stadiums for the actual esports. Is, is, is that right? Yeah, so um, the, it depends how you cut the market. So if, you, if you're doing it by revenue, then yes, the, the, the gaming sector is that big. Wow. So, you know, as I mentioned, one in three are gamers. And the, the, the reason why you've had this growth, and, and I think it was only the last couple of years that, that, that the gaming market overtook both those sectors. And the reason is, and this is kind of where, you know, if, if you're thinking of the purpose of real estate, you have to be agile in your thinking because games are now generally free to play to begin with. Right. Candy Crush is free. Um, CSGO, Counter-Strike, is now free. League of Legends, Dota 2, free. Um, Valorant, free. Apex Legends, free. But you buy Fortnite, free. But you buy in-game purchases. Now, the general spending, I don't know what the exact stat is, 
But if you think of a traditional, you know, CD game, video game that you would have bought in, you know, one of your high street um, outlets, what, 45 pounds, 40, 45 pounds, something like that. And then you're done for the year until the next iteration comes out. Right. But now you probably you, you start playing for free and your average spend each year is probably two, three, four hundred pounds because you're buying these in-game items. Yeah. So that so with there are other factors at play, of course, but that is a big factor in why the gaming revenue has jumped hugely. I, I think I read yesterday that you know EA EA games their I think quarter two profit is something like 180 million dollars. Um, revenue slightly down actually on on the year before, but you know 180 million dollars profit for Q2 lockdown would have a, a something to say in that yeah with more people gaming but it's uh it's a, it's a it's a big number and you know all the all, you know a lot of the a lot of the titles have, have thrown these have reported these kind of levels as well so what is the demographic of the typical esports audience because i know we you kind of mentioned and, and this is totally my kind of thinking was it would be a teenager locked in grad's basement kind of playing for 48 hours at a time but i'm guessing that's not the case anymore well no it's not actually it's um it depends on the game title yeah that, that's that's got to be said but if you look across you know all of the all of the titles the the demographic is generally male as you'd probably imagine although certain titles like valorant um is probably 50 50 female male so there's a there is work to do in the diversity sector, but actually, you know, if you think if, if they do the the right work there, then the market just grows even bigger than it already is. Yeah. So you've got probably you know people that watch esports passionately. You've got about half a billion of these people globally. You know, you, you there were there were crazy statistic that you know that during lockdown, uh, Formula One you may have seen went on Sky. Uh, yeah. E Formula One went on Sky, where it was virtual. It was it was kind of it was a bit of fun. It wasn't really competitive esports as you would call it, but they got more viewers than real the real Grand Prix. You know, watching that, Crazy. you know, because it's different, and you and the demographic is different. So all of a sudden, you know, the demographics that that video game or watch this stuff is generally things about eighteen to thirty five male with disposable income and and that is for me that's not a surprise because video gaming not so much in the uk but outside the uk in particular has for sure the stigma is totally gone of it it's quite a cool thing to be a gamer everyone's a gamer you know it's now and i think you'll see this now in schools in the uk you know if you're not a Fortnite player then what are you doing with your life you know whereby when you and I were in school, you probably wouldn't admit so freely that you were, video, you were into video games. That has turned on its head. So you know, with that in mind, that demographic, and, when, and this is the big bit for the UK, I think, is that you know, the, the, if people get hung up on the, on the size of the market and the numbers, and you know, esports, I think, is, is $1.3 billion, right, is what it's valued at globally. Now, that's not very big as a drop in the ocean, you know, 1.3 billion for a global industry. 
but actually it is part of the gaming industry, which is 130 billion. And that's going to be 177 billion, I think it is, in 2024. But esports is going to grow alongside it. Now, what esports is, esports is a, um, a sort of a, a, an advertising window for gaming. It is part of that sector. And when you consider the UK market is fifth biggest in the world for gaming, you know, it's worth six and a half billion dollars a year. It's only behind China, the US, Japan, South Korea. And then you've got the UK. And then after the UK, coming in about four billion is Germany. The headroom for growth in the UK for esports is enormous. You know, we're about the 25th largest esports nation in the world, but we're the fifth biggest gaming. Yeah. But people in this country play a lot of video games. It's just kind of, it's, it's for, you know, certain generations. It's, you just don't see it because yeah. it's all online. It's, yeah. it's done, you know, people are on their, on their tablets or whatever and they're gaming and they're connected to each other. So it's a, it's a huge market with a lot of growth. So how, how do you think then that landlords and developers of what would typically have been your, your normal kind of leisure real estate around the UK, how do you think they, can, they should be looking at this? Is, is this something that's going to come along and save the high street? Or is it a way in which it's going to be repurposing some of those um, leisure and, and maybe retail and like we've had in the 90s, pubs were where you'd go and then it became coffee shops. Now is it going to be pubs and coffee shops with gaming areas in them? So it's, it's always looking at what's the new place where people go on a rainy Saturday afternoon. Well, yeah, that, it's a good point, you know. And I think, you know, one of, the, one of the challenges people have to try and get out their head is I think when you think of, and I'm guilty of this, I think, of, and it's because of my, my age, I guess, but when I'm thinking of a gaming cafe, I think of an internet cafe. And how they used to look like, you know, with a load of travellers in there. You know, I've been a traveller myself, going in there, sending an email home, etc. I can't get that image out of my head. But when you go into an actual gaming cafe, it's a million miles away from that. It's an inclusive, dynamic, engaging atmosphere with capability for people to spend money. Mm. And you can spend money either gaming or not gaming in these in these sections so that multi-purpose is crucial and i think what you'll end up seeing is as you said you know repurposing existing venues so so it's unlikely you'll start to see new pieces of real estate going up with a gaming focus i think existing you, you know you may start to see cinema cinemas for example like everyman or something like that start yeah. to stream top level esports competition you know to bring people into that into that venue it's relatively cheap to do and we'll get that demographics in um so i think there's you know there are i, I think there's different different areas for them to play i do think that repurposing is more likely than new build yeah um but the one thing i'd sort of definitely sort of put a bit of caution in is Definitely do your homework before entering the space. There are loads of people that have, that have done it already. Um, there are people that have tried it and failed. There are some great success stories overseas about how this has um, worked. But there is a relationship 
to be considered between you and everybody else and the publisher of game titles. You know, they own the IP, they own the rights, therefore it's their, it's their ball and they can do what they want with it. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that dynamic to be navigated. But if you do that and get it right, there's, you know, there is a, there's a space to play here. And it's like everything in esports at the moment. There seems to be a race to the top. Who's going to corner that bit of the market first before it becomes expensive and prohibitive to get into? Yeah, so it seems like it might be quite barriers to entry maybe of, of, on this space are fairly low at the moment in the UK by the sounds of things. But it could be that actually if you can be a first mover in this and get and get get it right like some of the other countries have. And I know there's, you mentioned there's one in Shoreditch and one of these bars I, I know I've seen from the outside. Um, but it sounds like a, a big opportunity in a, in a sort of industry that, as you say, is growing at a unbelievably quick rate. Yeah. Absolutely. Other industries are declining at probably as quick a rate at the moment, especially due to, yeah, yeah. due to the pandemic. So in terms of the pandemic then, how has that affected things at the moment? Because I guess for my concern as a landlord, say, would be, well, why do people need to meet up physically to do this if they can do it online and things like that? How often are they going to be coming to do that? And is there enough of a market for those for those physical meetups? It's it's a good point, and I think it's a challenge that everybody's in, particularly in entertainment, is going to face. In yeah. that, you know, you look at cinema with the, with Netflix and Prime, etc. You know, who films going straight to there? What happens to the cinema? But actually, you know, in a post-COVID world, cinema still has a big role to play. You can't. It's a very different experience. And the same will be true of gaming. Yes, the majority of your gaming time, you know, after school perhaps, or, you know, one day at a weekend is likely to be at home, connected, or you're watching in the evening, you know, top tier competition or your favorite streamers or whatever. But actually there is still a room for the live event, the live face-to-face social interaction that, 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 you, that you crave. And I think, you know, the one thing that, has happened with COVID, um, esports was fortunate in a way that all the live events could immediately go online. So they didn't lose a lot of the competition, but still lost out by not having the live event. So sponsorship, you know, the, the, the sales of the event, ticket sales, all of that stuff disappeared. So they've, so they've had it, it's been good for esports in that it's still been able to survive and actually the profile has risen considerably because at one point over the summer, there was nothing to view in a competitive sporting context other than esports. Yeah. If you were a gambler, there was nothing to gamble apart from top level competitive esports for, for a number of weeks. But also, but, but on the sort of flip side, they did lose a lot of revenue with live events being, you know, taken away like, like a lot of other industries have. But I think what that means is, is when we come out of, a, uh, out of post, post-COVID, or po- become post-COVID, we're going to see many more events almost, you know, sandwiched together to make up for the loss of events in 2020. So 20, yeah. The back end of 2021 will be very busy calendar. 
It was a bit like wedding venues might have yeah, yeah, exactly. a big backlog of people waiting. Exactly. They're going to try and get them through as quickly as possible. It'll settle down and then a little bit in 2022, I suspect. But, you know, already next year, there's, you know, this will blow your mind. So there's um, the biggest competition globally is, is called the International, Dota 2 International. It's a huge, huge event. And, of course, was cancelled this year. That's now in 2021. And, and they basically almost crowdfund the prize pool. So Valve is the publisher and they, uh, they, they, they get their, their community to do in-game purchases of, in Dota 2 and proportion of that goes to the international prize pool. It's already over $40 million. So there's going to be six or seven teams competing for $40 million. By the time it comes around, it's going to be well over 50 million. So, and then if you think of the way that the revenue goes, it goes, the, the money will go to the team. The team will cut a large port of it to the players. Players will split it between the, the team of five. And there you go. So they're going to be, so these kids become very, very wealthy off these tournaments. So there's, there's a lot of these that are going to happen in 2020. But to you know, that, the live experience is very different and is crucial to esports and gaming in so much that it's just a big spectacle, entertainment, social gathering. It's different to football and traditional yeah. sports, which is very partisan. This is, this is there for the... I always, I always say it's like a cross between... I'll probably get in trouble for this. It's a cross between X Factor and WWE wrestling, the live <laughs> event. It's got a competitive angle to it that yeah. at some points in the game are really fierce and competitive, but everything else is a circus. The, the audience are having fun, entertainment. There's so much that's going on to keep people engaged in the stadium and outside that it is a, you know, it's, it's quite a special thing. So there's absolutely a role to play for live events. And, and I think, like, interestingly enough, like, sports in general, have been moving towards that entertainment. If you look at America and you go and watch like an NBA game, I mean, it's about four hours long because there's all these breaks and there's entertainment in the, in the middle and every quarter and things like that. And I think that shows that people are wanting a bit more than just the viewing of, of, of a competition, mm. um, yeah. which is interesting. It's, so, all about fan, it's all about engagement. It's all about engagement, engagement yeah. of the audience. And, you know, there's a, a, a sort of stat you read, you know, the, the, the average age of a North American sports fan is going up. The average age of a football fan in the UK is going up. So why is that? And it's because, as I said, there's a, there's a big, there's a, there's, a, there's a change in the way younger people, and, I said, you know, not that young, you know, people in their 20s, early 30s would be part of this as well, how they get their content. And they like instant, quick gratification, move on. And, and traditional sports doesn't offer all of that to these people. No, definitely. That's, that, that is fascinating. It's something I just didn't, I didn't know anything about, really. And I'm, I'm sure there's a few other kind of property people out there, again, who are suddenly thinking, hold on a minute, but this is, a, this is an untapped market that I need to... I need to look at seriously. So if that's the case, who should landlords and property people and even 
even some commercial agents as well. Who should we be talking to in terms of the gaming industry and companies and things like that if we're looking at repurposing maybe units that we have that we feel might might be benefit, benefit from this industry that's growing? I, I think the, 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 big, the key decision for all organisations will be at which part of the esports ecosystem gaming ecosystem are they looking to penetrate if is, is it going to be we want to be more in the gaming side you know and, and by that is just you know regular people video gaming or do we want to be on the east the, the full traditional esports piece of people watching others video game and streaming that to the masses or do you want to do a bit of the both and the way that you would do either of those is quite different. The, the, the hoops you'd have to go through would be quite different. You know, the, the esports piece, you would look to talk to um, some of the top esports teams that are in the UK because they can give you the leverage to create tournaments and run tournaments in the UK. Um, so you've got, you know, uh, London Royal Ravens, which is the big Call of Duty team that, that, uh, competed in the Copper Box, which was an amazing, amazing event last, last March. Um, you've got XL Esports that operate uh, out of Twickenham Stadium. Fnatic, which is probably the, the, the flagship team in the UK, which, which operate out of Shoreditch. Um, and, and are a real global brand. So there's, there's, there's ways that you can infiltrate using those guys. On the gaming side... Um, you've got a whole host of publishers across the Midlands in particular in the UK. Um, you know, that's a real hotbed of it. But equally, on the gaming side, it's probably worth you know, understanding your regional local demographics. Yeah. What they're wanting, who they are, how many of them are there, um, and what, you're trying, what do you want to provide for them? Because gaming can offer many different things for them. Um, but a good a good source is um, the British Esports Association. So it's, it's run by a guy called Chester King, um, who's a really good guy. He's got a team of people that are supporting the grassroots of esports through the UK, particularly through schools, colleges. Um, there is a, a real good collegiate uh, and university structure run by the Newell. Um, and of course, you can reach out to me as well. I can talk about esports all day, every day, as you probably could tell, um, to sort of get offer some guidance on where where's best to play in this space. I'm I'm certain that there's um I mean at the moment there's lots of like you know landlords and agents with lots of empty units from businesses in industries that maybe have fallen on hard times and certainly it's not all due to COVID but a lot of it has just been sped up by COVID like the high street example and these department stores. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm personally looking at a site at the moment and I'm just thinking now, hold on, am I missing a trick by not going into an industry that's growing so quickly where there's more young people, so they're starting out. And like you said, I think that stat about uh, football fans getting older is really, really interesting. So I think it's definitely one to watch um, and, try and, and try and kind of jump on that bandwagon, I suppose. But yeah, really, really. Yeah, 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 it is. I think it is. And I, but I do think, you know, it has to be the, the one thing, again, this is um, probably the most important piece, actually, is that the community, the viewers, the fans are 
the most important group for our whole esports and gaming ecosystem. Now, it may seem obvious that without them, they're, they're nothing, right? But the way that it's different in, in traditional sports, you know, particularly if you're a football fan, you support your team through thick and thin. You know, if they get relegated, you still support them. You may not like it, but you don't change sides. It's kind of a rule, isn't it? But in esports and gaming, you jump sides all the time because get another game title may come up and you go, oh, I like that one. And I'm better at that. Well, I'll play that one now and then at the expense of another. And then equally, then you may find an amazing uh, esports team creates for that particular title. And then all of a sudden you support that team. You know, it's, it's a bit like in, you know, again, well, it's, it's different to say football. You generally, as an esports fan, support the game title first, then the players, then the team. Right. So actually, if so, you love the title first. So you will, you will. So this is what the publishers do really well: is they listen to the community to shape their game. As I said before, now it's it's free to play because there are no new iterations of these games. They develop as they go. So if the community demands something, the publisher creates it. So they keep that level of engagement with the fans. So they aren't ever then at risk of creating a new version of the game that they don't like. They listen to them, they build with them. And so if you then, then the next level down is the sort of players. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, you're a massive Cristiano Ronaldo fan. So therefore you now support Juventus when you did previously Real Madrid. Yeah. You know, and then you support the team below that. So it's slightly different. So, so the key is that audience, you know, do the right things by them, do it for them, listen to them, evolve with them, and then you've got a, a, good, a good platform to build off. If you don't, it sounds like adaptability is, sorry, it sounds like adaptability yeah. is, is, is in that. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned it the first, it's, you didn't use the term mixed use, but it's, I can't remember what Tony used about, about the, 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 the multi-purpose. Yeah, multi-purpose, that was yeah. it, yeah. And that, yeah. that sounds like it's um, it's a it's a really key attribute. Well, thanks, thanks, Andy. I think that's been so interesting. I've learned. I, I don't think I've had an episode where I've learned more on it. And I'm definitely going to um, be picking your brains after this uh, to to ask a few a few more tips about certain um, units that we're looking at. Is there anything else you wanted to let the audience know that you think we, is is relevant that we haven't kind of already gone through? I just think, you know, look at what's happening overseas. You know, the UK in esports is behind our overseas neighbours, particularly, you know, German market, Scandinavia, definitely China's a whole different world. You know, there are university campuses and theme parks in China around gaming and esports. Um, and that will happen here. You know, yeah. you, Euro Disney now is engaged with esports, hosted a major, major event there. Um, and of course, Vegas has a gaming center now as well. So, you know, all of these, all of these things that are happening overseas, the UK will follow. And so definitely consider what's happened there because that will help shape some of your thinking. Definitely. Well, that's, that's been brilliant. Thanks so much for, for being on the show. And if, if, if someone is interested in, um, in speaking to you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Uh, LinkedIn, I, I, I do a lot of thought leadership through LinkedIn um, or reach out through PwC quite, 
quite easily. I'm pretty easy to contact. Great. I'll, I'll leave a, um, a link on the show notes for your LinkedIn profile as well. Brilliant. Well, th- thanks again. Thanks so much for coming on. Like I said, we've learned so much. That's so been brilliant. No problem. Thanks for having me, Rob. If you enjoyed the broadcast, please don't forget to give us an iTunes review. There's a link in the show notes to do that. It just helps other listeners find our podcast. And if you're interested in what any of our guests do, please look into the show notes for their details. Also, if you're interested in the property businesses that I'm involved in or in my consultancy services, please do contact me via the email. You guessed it. It's in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes as they come out. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.